have you ever felt bad over a wrong that you have done? Perhaps you responded in anger at your family member over a word or an action taken? Or perhaps, rather than acknowledge responsibility, you blame one of your colleagues when confronted with the mistake that you made at work? Or perhaps you justify yourself refusing to admit responsibility when a church member caringly confronts you about your gossip and slander. And after what happened, you feel bad. The Bible calls our wrong thinking and wrongdoing sin. And the feeling that you are getting is sin guilt. It's the guilt that you feel when you sin against people and ultimately against God. For Christians, we will struggle with sin and sin guilt because God has put His laws in our hearts. And when we continue to sin, you know, we will feel more guilt and some of us wonder if we are really Christian in the first, in the first place. So the question for us, my, my friends, is how are we to respond when we sin? What are we to do? Today, we will look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. We will catch up with Adam and Eve as they live outside the garden. We will see the ongoing effect of the fall on the first family. When we look at historical narratives in the Bible, it's helpful to read them in the light of three narrative arcs. So a little bit of context before we go into the passage. Okay? First, at the broadest level, we read the passage in the light of the big picture of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And Genesis 4 occurs after the fall. So as we read the passage, we need to know that things are not quite right. Okay? And certainly, what they are not according to what God originally designed. Secondly, we read bearing in mind the ongoing story of the Bible. Of the, Bible, of the book of the Bible. Eugene told us last week of God's promise of the serpent-crushing seed of the woman who will redeem His people. Uh, we, we saw this in Genesis 3.15. The Israelites who Moses wrote this book for will read the rest of Genesis in the light of the battle between this seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. They will read and will see how God provided for the continual existence of the seed of the woman. God is faithful to His promises to bring a serpent-crushing Redeemer even though His people continue to sin. Lastly, as we read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1-26, to we read in the light of the story that this passage presents. And here we will encounter the lives and continuing sin of the first family. And also, we will see the grace of a faithful God who brings hope, who keeps His promise. So let us jump to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. These are the three sections for today's passage. Uh, the outline, the first murder, verses 1 to 16. The worsening effect of sin, verses 17 to 24. And then we see God preserves the line of the seed of the woman in verses 25 26. The first murder. 
Now, this is a movie poster for the Academy Award-winning movie, Schindler's List. Okay, this is an old movie, and by sharing this, I'm just dating myself. Okay, this movie uh, was made and shown in 1993, and this historical drama was directed and produced by Steven Spielberg. The movie itself is based on a 1982 historical fiction novel, Schindler's Ark. So it's based off real life. The movie follows Oskar Schindler, a German industrialist who together with his wife saved more than a thousand mostly Polish-Jewish refugees from the Holocaust by employing them in his factories during World War II. You know, I remembered seeing the movie and weeping at the evil portrait of the Jews being tortured and killed. And yet moved by the good that shines in the darkness, the good that, that uh, uh, Oscar Schindler, his wife, uh, did. And over the years, because of this movie, I paid attention, I've seen additional photographic evidence of the Holocaust genocide and the evil that was committed. Yet increasingly, you know, now that we have social media, increasingly as I read social media, I see on social media the denial of the Holocaust. Some people are going around claiming that it's all fake news and it's a conspiracy by the Allied army. You know, it troubles me to see how some people can deny the murders that happened. But this behaviour has precedence in the first family. We read of Cain murdering Abel. And when God confronted Cain of his sin, Cain too denied it. Genesis 4 starts with verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Remember what happened in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and God pronounced His judgment on them. And as Adam heard the judgment, he was expecting a death sentence. He was expecting the immediate sentence of death right now. But he heard God's gracious promise of life amid God's judgment. He heard this in Genesis 3.15. And in prom and response, Adam named his wife Eve, which meant the mother of all living. And we see this promise bearing fruit in Genesis 4 verse 1. Because a man was produced with the help of the Lord, Adam and Eve's sin did not end their line of offspring. God provided for the continual existence of the seed of the woman as He had promised. Eve also gave birth to another son, Abel. Cain had the rights of the firstborn and he was a farmer like his uh, father, Adam. Abel was a herdsman. And as the narrative continues, we see that the focus of this passage is on Cain. You know, Abel is less like a supporting actor. Cain is the main actor in this passage. What we see subsequently is that the impact of the fall continue to reverberate uh, into the first family. We see conflict arising in the first family. And the conflict begins with verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. We see the time had come to bring an offering to the Lord. Both brothers brought different offerings with different heart motivations. You know, like you, if I, I, when I read these verses, my first question was this. Or why did the Lord have regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain and his offering? That's the first question you, you, will, you will ask if you look at this passage. The original audience, the Israelites, would have known the answer. Because we, we see the answer in, in, in this uh, verse here. Abel, for his, uh, for his part, brought of the firstborn of his flock. They are fat portions. Abel obeyed God's law, which called for an offering of the very best, the firstborn. A perfect specimen, including the fat portions for burning on the altar. Abel God obeyed God's commands. He showed total commitment to the Lord. He gave of his very best. What was offered, but my friends, take note, what was offered and the heart of the person making the offering are both important. Because we see that the Lord looks on the heart of the person before he looks at the gift. We read this in the verse, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord looks first at the heart of the person and our motivation before he looks at the offering. And the author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel trusted God and offered a sacrifice out of that trust. And then we look at Cain. You know, Cain, by contrast to his brother, seems almost nonchalant, okay? almost bought up. You know? He just brought some of the fruit of the ground, not the first fruits. And his offering almost seems superficial. It seems like it was something he has to do and just do and get it over with. So do law, have to do, just do. But his heart did not appear to be in it. And we see evidence of this in the subsequent verses as well. Therefore, Cain and his offering, God had no regard. God bypassed Cain, the firstborn, and accepted the younger Abel. And as a result of God's rejection, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Cain was very angry with God for not accepting his offering. He felt that he did not get what he deserved. He was also jealous of his younger brother Abel. But God, but God, lovingly pursued Cain as he pursued Adam and Eve. Because we see in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Even after the fall into sin, the Lord suggests that Cain can still do well and obey God's law. He is not a helpless victim. He can still fight sin, do well, 
and be accepted by God. And God continued with a warning in verse 7. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. This is the first time the Bible uses the word sin. And sin here is personified as a violent animal, as a beast, crouching to pounce on its victim. If you do not do well, you will leave yourself wide open to attack by sin and being eaten and devoured by sin. The serpent is ready to strike again in the second generation. This time, he tempted Cain, the firstborn. Unfortunately, sadly, Cain did not respond well. We see in verses 8 to 9, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up again his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God warned Cain, do well. But Cain refused to listen to God. Instead, he allowed his anger to grow at God and allowed his jealousy for his brother Abel to consume him. And the story reaches its climax in verse 8. Cain kills Abel. And in case uh, we have the mistaken uh, uh, notion that this was a crime of passion or it was unintentional, the Bible tells us that Cain's murder was premeditated. You know, killing someone far away in the field covered up the victim's screams for help and left no weaknesses. Cain planned to kill Abel. This was no accident. Cain murders his brother intentionally. We see Adam and Eve's sin led to conflict and murder in the first family. And we still see the effect of the fall even in our own families where our selfish desires leads to conflict. There are no weaknesses except God. God has seen Cain's sinful deed. And God began to immediately to interrogate Cain. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And what was Cain's response? He said, I do not know. Cain lied that he did not know. Okay? You know he was still washing away the blood from his hand when God spoke to him. And he just said he didn't know where his brother was. He intentionally killed his brother and lied to God. Cain not only lied, but we can almost imagine Cain smirking and making light of his murder you know, by asking, you know, am I, am I my brother's keeper? What do we see here? We, we see that Adam blame shifted when he sinned. But Adam did not hide his sin. Cain lied, hid and made light of his sin. What we see here is the worsening degree of sin. It is clear here that Cain is not the seed of the woman. He is the seed of the serpent out to destroy the seed of the woman. But my friends, you cannot lie to God. The Lord confronted Cain with his crime in verse 10. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. 
Cain has allowed himself to be mastered by sin. He has murdered his brother Abel. And Abel's brother is crying out to the Lord from the ground, crying out for justice. In verses 11 to 12, God pronounced judgment on Cain. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to its strength. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. As theologian Sidney Gridonus helpfully notes, in Genesis 3, God had cursed the serpent and cursed the ground. But God never cursed Adam and Eve because they represented the seed of the woman. Now God curses their son, Cain, confirming that Cain is indeed the seed of the serpent. The enmity between the seed of the serpent and seed of the woman will split the human race into two camps. Some will be on the side of Satan and some will be on the side of God. The farmer Cain will be exiled from civilization, cursed and made a wanderer without a home. What is worse is that he will be exiled from the presence of God. And Cain, feeling the weight of the punishment, appealed to the Lord. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. My friends, you can see uh, Cain's response here. His response was that he's more concerned about his punishment than his actual wrongdoing. You know? He's more concerned that he'll be driven from the ground from which he derived his livelihood, that he'll be driven away from the protective presence of God because he had killed Abel. Okay? And now Cain has a price on his head. Uh, Cain feared for his life. But my friends, do you see? Was there any sign of confession and repentance from Cain? None. There was no sign of confession, no sign of repentance from Cain, no sign of grief over his sin. He was more concerned about his punishment than his sin. But when sin abounds, grace superabounds. Because amid Cain's heinous sin, God still showed mercy. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. My friends, let's not speculate about what mark God placed on Cain because the Bible text does not tell us so. What is important is what the mark stood for. Cain has joined the enemy in the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Cain had allied with Satan. Cain had become a traitor in God's kingdom. He had murdered the seed of the woman. God rightly cursed him. You know, and, and we expect God to condemn him or, or at the very least not show mercy and, have, and just leave Cain to his just consequences. I know that's what many of us would do, right? We see someone sinning, sinning again. In the end, we say, okay, we give up, we wash our hands. We leave you to your consequences. But thankfully, God is not like us. God is merciful. Because what happened? God put a mark on him to protect his life. It's a sign of God's goodness and mercy. Even 
the traitor Cain, the, re- the rebel Cain, receive God's mercy. And the verse ends with verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of northeast of Eden. Cain is now a wanderer. You know, wherever the land of north is, is east of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were driven out of the garden, away from the presence of God east of Eden. Now Cain is forced to move even further away from God's holy presence east of Eden. The story after the fall reflected an ever-worsening sin situation and an ever-increasing distance away from God. My friends, even as we take this in, as we, even as we see the ever-worsening impact of sin, ask ourselves this question. In what areas of my life do I see the consequences of my sin? And, and how am I responding to it? We see from Cain the example of how not to respond to our sins. And this is the way of Cain. Uh, we have sinful uh, desires arising in our hearts. And rather than fight sin, we indulge and give in to it. We commit sinful actions despite God's gracious warning. And we are, when we are confronted by God, by means of His Word, or the conscience, our conscience, or the church, you know, members of the church confronting us with our sin, we deny and we make light of our sins. We do not grieve over our sins. My friends, what characterizes a believer is not the absence of sin, but rather our grief over our sin. Let me repeat this. What characterizes a believer is not the absence of sin, but rather our grief over our sin. Beloved, I urge you, do not follow in the way of Cain. Acknowledge, confess, and turn away from your sin back to Jesus. 1 John 1.9 gives us this promise. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is merciful and gracious. And what this means for us as a church, my friends, it means this. As a church, we do not aim for perfection in ours and others' behaviour. Okay? Christian perfection, perfect Christian maturity occurs when? When Christ comes back again. In the meanwhile, we are all strugglers. We are all growing. So we don't aim for perfection in ours or others' behaviour. Rather, what we aim for is a life characterised by grieving over and repenting of our sins. We should not value external performance or sterling service, but rather prize the hard attitude of repentance, turning away from our sin and turning in faith towards Jesus Christ. This means we can be open about our weaknesses and sins. Of course, being wise about who we share it to and how we share. This means we can invite other believers in church to come alongside us, to strengthen us, to hold us accountable. This means that we are to encourage one another to repent from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ so that we can grow, increasingly grow to reflect the image of God more and more. For the glory of God. The worsening effect of sin. Now, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
uh, I've been following the reports of Channel News Asia daily. You know, the updates have mostly been discouraging. Just when the virus seemed to be under control, there will be new waves of infections appearing in other countries. And then we see a new variant of the virus uh, that will emerge that is more transmissible. Not all of us, we have spent the last year and a half experiencing the effect of the pandemic. And it seems that it's just getting worse. Even though some countries like New Zealand and Singapore, we seem to have some measure of success. My friends, in the story of life outside the garden, the time subsequent to the fall, sin seemed to be like the COVID-19 virus. The situation seems to get worse and worse. And we see this in the offspring of Cain. You know, Cain was driven from God's presence, but God's mercy goes with him because Cain continued to have offspring. We read in verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. Cain sought security in a human city in defiance to God's punishment. And then we see in the next uh, verses after this, from verses 18 onwards, in quick succession, we speed down Cain's genealogy to the seventh generation and stops at Lamech whose family reveals both the height of the development of culture and the depth of sin in the human race. We see the development of culture uh, um, in, in the offspring and uh, several of his uh, children who, who are metal workers and, and musicians. So Lamech represents the seventh generation from Adam in the line of Cain. And the number seven in Hebrew represents fullness. Lamech is special. He represents the fullness of the depravity of sin in the line of Cain. But what happens is this. As we, we trace the line of Cain amid the rampant sin and depravity, God still continues to show what theologians call common grace to the sinners. Because we see there, there was an impressive list of cultural developments in the line of Cain. We see this in verses 19 to 22. There were livestock farmers, there were musicians, there were tool makers. What we see is God's goodness and mercy. God orchestrated cultural developments that enabled people to cope and experience some joy in a harsh environment under God's curse. So God is still showing common grace to sinners. But all is not well. Lamech, in the seventh generation, breaks God's creation order. God, at, his crea at creation, God uh, ordered that marriage should be between one man and one woman. Lamech marries two women, committing polygamy. Not only that, he begins to brag to these two wives in verses 23 to 24, in what is known as the Song of the Sword. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zila, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. My friends, Lamech is a vicious killer. You know, God's law uh, for Israel demanded that punishment must fit the crime. But Lamech moves far beyond this principle of justice. He kills a man for wounding him, a young man simply for striking him. 
And not only that, he takes pride in it. Because he says this in verse 24, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Lamech here is flexing his muscles, saying that, hey, you know, I will take revenge 77-fold. I'm stronger than Cain. And we see that he even composed a song. He takes God's words to Cain of complete vengeance and goes them 70 times better. He vows unending vengeance. No one, but no one will touch Lamech. He does not need God's protection. He can fend for himself. Lamech boasted over his violence and delighted in his sin. Adam blame shifted. Cain lied and made light of his sin. Lamech boasted and delighted in his sin. Sin has reached its lowest point. The line of Cain was utterly given over to sin. My friends, the account of Lamech show us the downward spiral of sin and evil. Without God's restraining grace, sin will get worse and worse. Our God, however, is still a God of steadfast love and mercy. Our God continues to show patience to sinners, continues to demonstrate uh, grace to rebels like us. God even showed common grace to Cain and his offspring. So my friend, ask yourself, even when suffering the consequences of sin, could we have the next slide, please? Even when suffering the consequences of sin, how has God shown His mercy and grace to me? You know, for some of us, among us here, we, we could be struggling with sin, we could be unrepentant. Do not be like the Mac and mistake God's patience for like the license to continue to sin. Is there any area that you need to repent of your sin? Repent of your sin and receive God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Do not mistake God's grace for license. I also recognize there are some of, among us who struggle with sin and we are constantly wracked by guilt. For those of us who are feeling guilty, we feel that you know, again and again we have sinned, Recognize God's grace towards you amid your struggle with sin. You know, perhaps God has used a friend or situation as His means of grace to restrain your sin or to encourage you. Or or, or perhaps you can see evidences of His grace in the small progress that you make. Even your guilt that you struggle with is God's way of drawing you back to Him if you respond in the right way. Remember God's mercy towards you in Christ Jesus. And even in your struggle with sin, remember that our faithful God shows mercy. And as a church, let us come alongside one another and encourage one another, especially those of us who struggle with sin. Let us be God's instrument of grace to our brothers and sisters who are struggling with uh, with sin. Is this it? The story ends with rampant sin and wickedness. What what a dark ending to the story. This is not it. Because it's said that the light shines brightest in the darkness. And just when you thought all was lost, the offspring of the serpent, represented by the line of Cain, 
uh, you thought that the, the offspring of Superman represented by the line of Cain has triumphed. We see God's grace shining brightly. God preserves the line of the seed of the woman. And we read this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 to 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The story is almost finished. We see the awful development of sin in human history. Only seven generations from Adam and sin has come to full fruition. Human beings boast about the power, their own power to defend themselves. You know, they, they, they think that they don't need God, they don't need His law. They, they, can, they themselves can decide what is good and, and what is evil. They can be gods for themselves. This is the sin of Adam and Eve. Only more defiant. Only seven generations and humanity has disintegrated from a world where God was worshipped and adored to a world where human beings think that they can live without God. But God, but God is faithful to His promise and graciously preserves the line of the seed of the woman. After looking at the line of Cain, verses 25-26, flashback to look at Adam and Eve, the first generation. So we're looking at Adam and Eve again in verses 25-26. to And what we see there, we see the birth of Seth. And we see Earth's, Eve's proclamation. God has appointed to me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain has killed him. The point of this story now becomes clear. In the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, God, God is faithful in continuing the line of the seed of the woman. This section of the story also concludes, To Seth also a son was born, and they called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. At that time, people began to invoke the name of the Lord. In the line of Cain, we see rich cultural developments, but increasingly we see people who declare their independence from God. In this line, the seed of the woman, we see a people who are weak. In fact, the name Abel is, is, is the same uh, translation for vanities in Ecclesiastes. It means uh, uh, temporary, ephemeral. So Abel seems to be temporary and weak. And, and the, the line of the seed of woman, we see people who are weak, but people who call on the name of the Lord. They recognize their dependence on their Lord, their King. And they made their Lord central in their lives. And they pray to God and worship Him. Genesis 4, 1-26 tells us that God is faithful in continuing the line of the seed of the woman. If God had not been faithful, the line would have ended with the death of Abel. But God, but God raised up Seth and his descendants and continued His people on earth. But this means, of course, that the bitter battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman continues. And we see this continuing in the rest of the Bible, culminating in Jesus Christ, the true seed of the woman.
the Gospel writer Luke traced the genealogy of Jesus back to Seth, the son of Adam. Jesus is the offspring in the line of Seth. Jesus, who finally wins the decisive victory over the serpent. At the cross, Jesus' heel was hurt, but the head of the serpent was crushed. You know, the writer of Hebrews, in reflecting on, on this passage in Scripture, uh, in Genesis 4, speaks of Abel and Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries for justice from the ground. However, Jesus' blood spilt on the cross provides for the forgiveness of sins for those who place their trust in Him. Jesus' sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mercy and forgiveness is available for sinners rather than God's justice against us. Genesis 4, 1-26 show how even amid increasing sin and evil, God can redeem and bring good to fruit. And Jesus' story shows us just this. It shows us how incalculable wrong can be transmuted into unfathomably, an unfathomable good. Jesus' death on the cross brought forgiveness of sin. My non-Christian friends, this is good news for you. You know, I've spoken to some of uh, my friends and, and, and you know, they struggle with receiving Jesus Christ because they think that they have done too many wrongs. They think they are too sinful or they did too many wrong things for God to accept them. But the good news is this, you're never too sinful for Christ to save. You're never beyond God's rescuing grace. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross and that His shed blood offers forgiveness for your sins. Trust that Jesus Christ was raised to life so that you can receive the gift of true eternal life. Finally, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, and place your tr confidence and trust in Him. My friends, if this is your desire, do, do drop any of the pastors and elders an email or contact details on, on the church page. For my Christian friends, for those of my family and friends gathered at, at, at church, here, ask yourself this, how have I spurned God's faithfulness in what areas of my life do I have to exercise faith, cry out to Him, and plead mercy? Beware of the example of Cain, who spurned God's gracious mercy to go his own way. And even as you turn back to God, pleading mercy and exercising faith, remember also the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, that God is faithful in continuing the line of the seed of the woman culminating in Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness to rescue and preserve His people should spur us on in thankful endurance as we serve and love God, His people, the church. In summary, because of God's gracious faithfulness to His promises, we can cry out to Him and plead mercy when we sin. 
And as we close this time, I invite you to spend the remaining time reflecting on the closing song. And at this point, I want to thank the worship team again for the excellent song choices uh, today. This is the uh, chorus from the power of the cross. This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame for the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. In spite of our many sins, there is forgiveness at the cross. Let us pray. Father God, we confess that we are sinners in need of your mercy and grace. Thank you that Jesus' sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, that there is mercy and forgiveness rather than justice and wrath. Thank you that Jesus took our place and bore your justice against sinners like us. We thank you there is now mercy and forgiveness available at the cross. But we ask that you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Change us to become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.